You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. Hello, this is Sarika and Anthony. We're excited about this episode that that we're bringing to you. We're going to have a great show today. We're really going to get into the hood. We're going to talk to a journalist about her feelings on speaking truth to power. We're also going to be listening to her thoughts on how to consume news by leaning into integrity. We're going to hear about a woman walking into a room full of rich men and how she handled that from an inclusive standpoint. And I also like how she talks about what the media industry can do better to really drive DEI. Stay tuned. It's an episode you don't want to miss. Diversity straight up. Keeping it real. For more than six decades, ACT has advanced its mission of helping people achieve education and workplace success. We exist to fight for fairness in education and create a world where everyone can discover and fulfill their potential. Education has power, a power that can change lives forever. It creates opportunities that lift up individuals and their families, and it sparks societal change that echoes through generations to come. From our grassroots, we have fought the good fight for equity in education, and we remain devoted to helping anyone who struggles to access that power. We are all in to create a world that values and encourages each individual's abilities and potential in a society that is fairer and more equitable. What's next for you? A new car? A new house? A vacation? At Alliant Energy, we're planning what's next for your energy by adding more renewable energy sources, embracing new technology, building stronger communities, and providing you with more options. We're not just powering homes and businesses. We're powering what's next for you. Learn more at AlliantEnergy.com slash powering what's next. The phrase people you can bank on, it kind of embodies our legacy. What I think that means is we care about our clients, we care about our community, and we care for each other. Having been in business for over 20 years and uh, explored all possibilities of financing and you know banking relationships, I have found that the people at Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust are people that you can really bank on. Welcome to another episode of the Corridor Media Group's Diversity Straight Up, sponsored by ACT, Alliant Energy, Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust. I am your host, Sarika Bakta, president of Nikea Diversity Consulting. And I'm Anthony Arrington, managing partner of Top Rank, and uh, we are going to have a great show today. Uh, we're going to get under the hood like we always do around diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement from the lens of a journalist. Hmm. We have a great journalist today. Would you like to introduce our guest, Sadika? Yes, we're excited to be able to have Beth Malicki. She's an anchor and managing editor with KCRG TV9 and has been reporting the news with them since 2005. Prior to KCRG, Beth was the evening weekday co-anchor at KOMU in Columbia, Missouri. Go Missouri! Woo! Where she was an adjunct instructor at the University of Missouri Columbia School of Journalism. When Missouri's governor died in a plane crash, she provided live coverage overnight and, at that time, felt no story would eclipse the magnitude of that event. Then came the historic Iowa flood of 2008. We all remember that, right, folks? Yeah, buddy. 
and the station broadcast near uninterrupted disaster coverage for days. Beth created, produced, and moderated the weekly public affairs program to the point with Beth Maliki as a response to the many flood-related stories as well as Iowa's unique political position in Iowa. That program, as well as Beth's reporting and anchoring, have earned her recognition, including regional Emmy Awards, Iowa Broadcast News Association Awards, Northwest Broadcast News Association Awards, and various community awards. Supporting children living in poverty through education opportunity is Beth's philanthropic focus. She's a founding board director of the Zach Johnson Foundation. Beth has also written grants earning more than $1.8 million. That's amazing, Beth. $1.8 million benefiting children in eastern Iowa from 2013 to 2017, and she continues to do her philanthropic work. Beth and her husband, Brett, have three kids and are here in eastern Iowa. Welcome, welcome, Beth. This bio definitely does not do you justice in knowing you. (laughs) Sadika, thank you so much, and to Anthony for inviting me to. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast, and I'm just tickled to be part of it today. And it is super awkward to hear people read your bio, so thank you for for doing that so cleanly and getting it over with. We had to clip and cut. There was a lot. <laughs> my apologies. You know, before we get started, something's on my mind. There's something on my mind. My daughter spent her summer reading books from the public library, and last week she started school. She goes to a public school. Hence the increase in banning books that we're seeing at unprecedented levels across the U.S. in public institutions has been on my mind. The American Library Association, which is one of the oldest and largest um, library associations in the world, reported more than 729 attempted bans of 1,597 individual books in 2021 alone. That's just last year. The highest they have ever seen in two decades since they've started reporting on challenges and bans on books. Books about race and LGBTQ identities were among the most challenged and or banned. You know, I remember growing up, my family comes from a very low socioeconomic background, We didn't do travel in terms of going on vacations. We didn't have technology back then that I can escape. Guess where my solace was? The library. And I remember checking out 15 to 20 books over the summer. Mm -hmm. A week, okay? A week. Just to learn, to escape, Mm -hmm. and just to be able to experience new adventures. I value diversity of thought and perspectives. And I'm always trying to seek to understand first Reading about different lived experiences allows us to enhance our cultural competency. It allows for us to check our biases. And most importantly, I think about public institutions. Those are tax dollars at its work. And our public institutions should be reflective and representative of those that are being served. And I know, having gone to the public library when I was younger, there were some identities of me that I didn't see. Mm. And I think in terms of an immigrant perspective or as an Indian perspective from a gender I did see. But again, I identify, you know, pronoun she, her. Hence, I did see that. But I think that this is something that's been on my mind that we're trying to embrace diversity of perspectives and thoughts. I may not agree with your thoughts and perspectives and belief systems, Mm -hmm. but I still want to be able to seek to understand and be able to ensure that... Anyone that goes to any public institution, whether the school library or the public library, the university library that is tax funded, 
people should feel as if they're seeing themselves in the books right. somewhere there. So, Sarah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a peel back the onion guy. Go you know for that, it. Peel right? it back. So uh, this is straight up. Mm. So let's just be straight up about what's happening here. And if we have to ask ourselves why, like I'm, a, I'm this is surface level conversation about the banning of the books, right? Mm-hmm. And why are we banning so many books and why are they being banned around race and LGBTQ and underserved populations? So then we have to peel the onion back and ask the question, why is that? And we have to connect the dots to what's happening in our society and what's happening around race relations and what's happening around anti-LGBTQ issues and how that's connected to the political environment. And then we have to be able to really answer the question, why we do it. And there's a sense of racism that's impacting that. And there's a sense of anti-LGBTQ sentiment that is impacting that. And there are people with power and leverage Mm -hmm. that are allowing that to happen. So whether I agree with that or not, or whether I disagree with that or not, those are the facts. And until we start addressing the facts, the books are going to continue to be banned at a higher and higher rate as people get in power who don't like real history. We don't have to agree, but we have to agree on facts. And when we can't agree on facts, books get banned. It has been a galvanizing force to villainize certain aspects of our society. And I would take it a step further. I don't think it's just people are banning it banning books because they don't agree with certain racial conversations or LGBTQ issues. I think they are targeting libraries because it is galvanizing and uniting a certain sector of the voting block. Yes. And that is even more terrifying that it's not accidental. It's not, I'm biased because I haven't been exposed to certain things. It's someone with money is working to exploit perhaps my ignorance or my lack of exposure and to scare me into hating a book I've never read. Yep. That is beyond the pale, and it is happening. Right. When you have libraries and, and organizations that are telling you, you you can't have books because they have the word, the word slavery in the language. Well, like, where does that come from? It, and that's, it is a, 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 an exploitation of yeah, fear. Yeah. And the thing that I, because I really can get down in mm-hmm. thinking about the state of our culture yeah. around these issues. And yeah. what I know and what I see is that the vast majority of people are good, decent, and hungry <laughs> for truth. Mm-hmm. And that they can fall into common identity around what is a fact and what is an, uh, an yeah. exaggeration and what is a, a flat out lie. Yeah. But those people can't be silent anymore yeah. because the ones that want to believe what's not true and to hide history... They're real loud. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, you know, we could, we could, this is a, we could drag mm. all day. This is a great conversation. But oh. I want to talk about Beth. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I would rather talk well, about <laughs> books. <laughs> Say yes. What's on your mind? Beth, you're a book lover, though, I am. Too. I am. The best job I ever had in my life was I worked in an independent bookstore for five years Very in cool. my teenage and early 20s, and it was, I, I think it was transformative in, in my whole future. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, as a reporter, I mean, you're a reporter of a local station, mm-hmm. um, and, and your job 
you know, as we think about your ability to report, um, is to try to remain as neutral as possible Absolutely. in the delivery of the Ob- news. Objectivity is crucial. Uh, you, uh, yeah, you, you have your own personal values. You're a walking human being like the mm-hmm. rest of us. You walk into the grocery store like the rest of us, yeah. and you live in the community like the rest of us. And so how do you handle these this expectation um, in today's divisive environment when, when there are stories that you cover that, that you know have a very clear position Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't align with you, with your personal values. So how does that, as a as a as a media leader, how does that how do you how do you square that away? So truth always wins, mm-hmm. and truth deserves to be elevated and at times shouted, even over um, loud lies. So I believe strongly that truth will prevail and that truth matters. Um, when it comes to my personal opinion on certain topics that we might cover, that is not my workplace is not the appropriate mm-hmm. outlet for me to express that. So what that means is if something has happened in the news, and I do have a personal opinion on it because I'm a human being, right? I process it with my loved ones, my husband, um, my friend group, so that I can come into the newsroom and not sort of infect other people mm-hmm. with my perspective on the news of the day. And why do I say the word infect? I've been in the newsroom a long time. I've been at KCRG for 17 years, and I'm a manager. So my words carry weight, my facial expressions, my Mm -hmm. attitude, and I want to never make it feel like, well, Beth feels this way about fill-in-the-blank issue. Mm -hmm. So we can't bring up this data point or this Mm -hmm. or pitch to talk to this individual because she won't like it. And I have seen that happen Mm -hmm. in in certain instances in newsrooms. Um, I'm a registered independent and always have been and try to approach things as objectively as possible. Mm -hmm. But I don't want people to think that means that if something's controversial, we won't go there. Right. Or that we give false equivalency to flat earthers as much as geologists who recognize Mm -hmm. the earth is round. Right. They don't get equal airtime. Nope. They don't get to spread falsehoods just because they believe it. That's not what journalism is. Mm -hmm. It's focusing on the truth and sharing it even if there are negative consequences for doing so. Yep. Recent studies, including one from Pew Research Center, are reflecting U.S. journalists have mixed reviews Mm -hmm. as to the industry's representation of diversity within their own organizations. And um, where are they giving the highest uh, marks are around gender and age. So mm-hmm. 67% of journalists out of 12,000 that were interviewed for this survey just this year, by the way, 67% indicate that they see gender representation. 58% indicate they have age diversity. So those are the two areas that they see the largest mm-hmm. remarks in. Mm-hmm. The lowest is in race and ethnicity, around 32%. I'm surprised it's that high. You sur- okay, and so I was just going to ask you, you've worked in multiple <laughs> newsrooms around various communities, mm-hmm. um, large and small and mid-sized. What are your personal thoughts on diversity representation within the organizations that you have had the privilege to work for, as well as um, what do you think about how your fellow peers are feeling in the industry here? Mm-hmm. Uh, this came up just last week. We were uh, writing a story um, around the issue of race, and I looked around the newsroom and I go, it really would be great to have a person of color to bounce this topic off of. And, and you know, everybody's like, yeah, that would be nice. Because we mm-hmm. recently had um, Phil Reed, an African-American anchor reporter who got a big promotion and a big job somewhere else. Good for him. Mm-hmm. But it left a void in our newsroom. Mm-hmm. And we have a photographer, Marlon Hall, who's our chief photographer, an African-American man. And he um, 
wasn't in the building in that moment. Mm-hmm. That's not enough. <laughs> um, we have a morning anchor, Danielle, who is an African-American woman, and she and I are ships passing in the night. She leaves work before I get in, so I don't even see her in the flesh. So to have these crucial conversations, it, it can't just be um, a handful of people, although KCRG is head and shoulders over most newsrooms in terms of racial diversity. I would agree with that. We aren't anywhere where we need to be. And I would argue, what about in management? Mm-hmm. What about in leadership? Mm-hmm. Because there's a huge void there. I was delighted when I saw our ownership group, Gray, um, after the murder of George Floyd, uh, like so many businesses, had a bit of an internal reckoning that we have not done enough mm-hmm. in this space. And at the very top echelon of the organization, and Gray is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, massive. They, they mm-hmm. made a hire. They changed some policies. And that matters. It can't just come from the top down, but boy, does it make an impact. Well, as you indicated, what you right. do as a leader reflects on how other people are going to perceive it and is going to ultimately dictate, you know, their decision making and how they're going to interact with you. So you indicated that um, after George Floyd and the tragedy mm-hmm. and the murder, and we've seen where right now a couple of years has passed by and people are asking, mm-hmm. what is our organization mm-hmm. doing? What are the outcomes? Do you feel like your organization being massive part of the umbrella for Gray? Have you seen great positive movement in the last couple of years? Now, I haven't analyzed Gray as a whole. I've only seen, you know, we, we see the top leaders they in the newsletter and such. And right. the first time I saw the, the leaders, I, I did not see a lot of representation. Um, but since the murder of George Floyd in 2020, there has been an obvious shift there. Right. And I would have to give a positive shout out to KCRG specifically, Adam Karras, my news director. He is the one who is making these hiring decisions in the newsroom largely. We have input, we give feedback, um, but he has done a great job of being um, intentional in recruiting in a very skinny work labor market. Uh, people who more so represent the future of Iowa. People right. are like, oh, but Iowa is so white. It's you know, 91% white. That is accurate. Have you looked at our schools lately? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the Cedar Rapids Community School District has three buildings that are minority-majority buildings. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm thinking about the future, not just maybe the 50 Absolutely. years plus population. Right. You know, Beth, you, you have a lot of passion, by the way. I, I love that. I love that. Um, and you also, you know, uh, as a reporter, been in this community for 17 years, but your voice goes beyond Cedar Rapids and Iowa. Your voice goes uh, nationally, obviously. Technology is there. So you, you have, you know, in position, power. You have a platform. You have privilege. Absolutely. And you're a citizen. You also have to manage your neutrality as a news anchor. For sure. But how do you use your power, your platform, mm. and your privilege to make change I, the way that you can? How do you use that? How do you manage your values off? Mm. off the air or, or, or otherwise. What's Beth do? You know, and I've, I've struggled with this a uh, number of times in my career where I've seen an issue or a situation where I've wanted to duck out of my uh, role as a journalist and, and run headlong into changing it as a person. Mm-hmm. And I've met with my mentors and talked about where can I make the biggest impact. And the reality is I still believe the role I'm in today, speaking truth to power mm-hmm. and telling people difficult truths, is how I can make the biggest impact today. Yes. I am very fortunate to serve with Sadika on the Zach Johnson Foundation Board of Directors where we get to go into schools that are disproportionately affected by poverty 
and come up with solutions to support students in a way they deserve to be supported outside the school day. The mm-hmm. school teachers and administrators, cafeteria staff, they're working their tails off. Mm-hmm. But when that bell rings, they don't always have that same interaction with students because, you know, they've right. been there all day. And that's where we can step in. And so pouring some of that energy, and I'm going to be honest, some of that frustration into my nonprofit side Mm -hmm. has helped keep me sane Mm -hmm. because as you know when you turn on the the news or you pick up the paper or you log on to an app it can be overwhelming to hear negative 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 difficult difficult difficulty but it's reality and it also can feel helpless Mm -hmm. and hopeless so when I'm feeling that which does happen um if I spend a little bit of time working on something with the Zach Johnson Foundation um, or another nonprofit that I might be engaged with in that moment, uh, it pursues my soul. Even if it like, just today I was really just reading some articles and just feeling frustrated, and I went on Facebook, as one does, to distract the mind. And I saw the Greater Cedar Rapids Community Foundation is doubling or doing a match if you give to classrooms in Cedar Rapids mm-hmm. teachers' wish lists. And it, I'm like, I'm just going to give to a classroom at Hoover. I just got to do something right now. Right, right. And it does make you feel a little bit better. Not that I'm saying throwing money in a problem makes you feel better, but it worked for me in that moment. Better than right. buying shoes. Yep. No, I, and I think that's important. And then the reason I asked is, you know, I think oftentimes what, you know, Sadek and I have discovered in our work is we, we work with a lot of leaders and who have a, particularly those who are public figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, many may operate through fear. Uh, having to speak truth to power, I like that you said that. Um, because of other external reasons, right? Mm-hmm. My friends at the club aren't going to accept me anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have challenges with my daughter or my son at school. They're going to get, and particularly you being a public figure, but at some point leaders have to be able to make the decision, when am I going to cross that bridge between I'm just going to throw money at the situation and be mm-hmm. quiet because I can write a check mm-hmm. or if I'm going to become truly involved as a human being. And that's a different conversation. And so it's, it's good to hear that you're in that space and you find ways to do that through the foundation and other, other avenues and, and speaking truth to power. There are some incredible organizations in in Lynn County and beyond that are tackling some thorny topics Mm -hmm. head on. And um, at my age, you know, I'm 45 now. I think 15 years ago, I probably would have been more nervous to speak truth to power in certain realms. Um, I think that's one benefit of growing older. And I've had to be super intentional about leaning into integrity Mm-hmm. It can be really easy to lie in the moment or to keep your mouth shut yes. in a moment. Yes. And then you go home and you deal with those feelings. I, I don't I don't have the stomach for it anymore. Yeah. I'd rather be really respectful and listen and say what needs to be said right. from my perspective as well. Yeah. I'll end that and paraphrase what MLK said and it's that, that you know, it's not the clamor of my enemies. Uh, but it's the silence of my friends that, that have the most impact. And so it's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can only control your own actions and reactions and, uh, and leaning into your integrity. And when you say truth to power, that's you being authentic professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you have to be authentic as a leader and show up as a leader. And It's not easy work. 
It isn't. Mm. And I'm, you know, we, uh, I think every industry has different things that celebrates. So I'm fortunate to have some friends who are true artists and mm. they get really excited when they create something new. I love consuming art, but I'm not creating any of it. <laughs> um, my husband works in a law firm where intelligence is really highly prized. And it's when I get together with them, sometimes I, just, I feel like I'm in a truly pursuit competition. And I just roll my eyes a lot because I, I can't hang. Um, in the newsroom, it's uncovering truth mm -hmm. and putting it in context and in history. And that's where um, I kind of have a leg up on everybody else because I've been in this community this long and, and some of you know my coworkers have been in the newsroom for three weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and putting things into perspective is not easy to do for folks who are new to the community, but it is so incredibly important. When we talk about the flood of 08, we also have to talk about the flood of 2016. We also have to talk about the changes in Czech Village and Nubo that came because of the flood and the people whom we lost. Not that they died in the water, but their lives were crushed in ways that they never recovered. Um, and, uh, you know, the flood of 08 was a, was a pivot point in my life. I always thought this was going to be a stepping stone and I was going to leave Cedar Rapids and go to a bigger market and eventually go network and rule the world of journalism. Wow, did I have some confidence. And it, after experiencing that trauma in this community and seeing how people refuse to give up and how people who couldn't take one more step, that people did try to lift them up. And it wasn't just writing a check, although a lot of people did that, thank goodness. Um, I was just inspired and I felt like this is a place where you actually can make a change. I'm from St. Louis, a suburb mm -hmm. of St. Louis called Baldwin, and I visit my family there and I adore them and they complain about politicians and they complain about the community and they complain about crime. And I don't think they feel any agency that they can change any of those things. And I'm like, wow, I could call the mayor tomorrow if I really had a strong feeling about something. Mm -hmm. I could start a nonprofit in a week and apply and get grants and probably make a change in an area of interest. Like, you can do that here, mm -hmm. and they can't believe that. Yeah, they feel helpless where they're right. placed. I don't. Right. Well, I think those those places where people feel helpless, mm -hmm. it's because they've never really tried. Right. And it's, it, uh, we've never we're not accustomed to that. We're not accustomed to to make taking those steps. And so, how do we, for lack of a better term, get the proverbial drunk off of the couch? Mm -hmm. And get some exercise. And how do we get social exercise in our bodies? And, and, and some people aren't accustomed to that. And that's why I think one of the things Sadika and I always talk about is no blame and shame. There are people who don't do this work or don't care because they've never been asked to care. They don't understand. Um, so how do we get to those folks? And it's through authenticity. So. Mm -hmm. It's through storytelling. Yeah, it's through storytelling. I mean, when people hear a story, th but they're 22 times more likely to remember it than a statistic about mm -hmm. that story. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I mean, I love telling stories. I think, yep. I think it's fascinating, and it uncovers a lot. Right. I also think it's a way we get beyond bias. We're, when you see somebody you may have biases you're not even aware of, but once you get to know their story, those things can fall away. Mm -hmm. But we're so busy just ignoring stories I think that we get caught up in the exterior yes yes stories allows us to be able to take perspective shifts you know perspective taking and be able to experience what their lived experience mm -hmm. may be that's why I'm a big fan of the human library initiative that mm -hmm. they have I heard you talk I looked that up last night yes I'm yeah. a big believer in regardless of what background walks of life you may be from yeah you talked about change mm-hmm and being able to impact change. 
What do you think, um, when you're thinking about your own industry, the top two, three things that needs to be changed, addressed right now for your industry to really be able to advance DEI? In in newsrooms, and I'll just focus on television newsrooms because that's the space I understand the best, um, it is having managers who see the value in reflecting the populations that they serve and understanding that diversity is, is not um, monolithic, that it is complicated, that it, it involves many things. Um, I think it all starts with looking in the mirror. You know, I used to work <laughs> in, <Yay! laughs> in a newsroom where um, a program manager did not think we should run the show Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. It was on like a Bravo type show, but it was going to be running on our actual network. And we were one of a handful of stations that refused to show that program. Um, and we got a lot of backlash for it, understandably, and we got a lot of support for it, understandably. It's a divisive issue, especially we're talking 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to talk to him about it because I had concerns. And he pulled the, well, I have some friends who are gay. Mm. And I thought, oh, you haven't looked in the mirror around your own belief set and your own understanding of this topic. Mm-hmm. And um, I have had similar experiences on myself in interacting uh, with an executive producer 22 years ago. Um, and she was African-American woman. Uh, and I did not understand her perspective on a story. And I looked at her, I go, I just don't, I don't understand why you care this much. She goes, look at me. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, it, mm-hmm. it was a race-based story. And I thought, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had to have some conversations in the mirror as well. So I think when managers take a deep breath and say, what are... What are some things I don't know about my unconscious bias? Maybe even some biases I may be proud of and I might even brag about around certain friend groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and how might that be getting in the way of my hiring? I love, love, and I got excited when you said the mayor because we, I talk about that so much in, in the space of leaders that it doesn't matter how many uh, times you feel like you've been trained on bias or it doesn't matter how many times Anthony comes and tells you uh, what you could be doing to mm-hmm. improve, and it doesn't matter what you see on the news. If you can't, you can't lie to yourself. At some point, you cannot lie to yourself when you look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, I call them brush your teeth moments. So wherever you have your, <laughs> your wherever you have your me time, whatever it is, these are the moments where you really have to self reflect. You can't lie to yourself, and if you can honestly do that, you can come out of that bathroom or out of that mirror into the real world and make impact Mm -hmm. and be able to accept the arrows that are going to come at you uh, by those who haven't looked in the mirror. I think of um, Mary Sharp, longtime editor at the Gazette. And as you probably know, the Gazette and KCRG used to be owned by the same organization. I remember Mary. Yeah. Yeah, And we shared newsrooms uh, and we'd have an email group email, I guess today you probably call it a group text, but back in the day we had group email (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you would get a story idea and you would just blast it out to everybody. And um, somebody blasted out that there was a, and, that there was a shooting near, and this was the writing of the person who authored this email, quote, the ghetto V. Mm. And Mary replied all, and very thoughtful, very appropriate, and very pointed. We do not refer to anything as a ghetto. That is a loaded word. And it it was at a time, probably about 15-ish years ago, when we didn't bat an eye when that email came across. We just didn't. Mm-hmm. It was so ingrained in how we referred to a certain grocery store mm-hmm. in such a condescending way uh, and, frankly, racist way. And she called us out. And I've, I've, I'm so grateful to that, to her bravery, honestly, in that moment. 
And I remember that when I feel a little bit discomfort in the newsroom, somebody makes a joke that is off color and I go, you know what? We don't do that here. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to shame them. I mean, they probably feel shame in that moment a little bit. But Mary wasn't quiet and Mary spoke out and it was, I'm sure, a little bit uncomfortable. And I can do that, too. You know, being a active bystander and being able to create an environment that people are not feeling as if it's incivil or toxic or hostile. That is our job as leaders to be able to stand up, even if we feel like it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. But Mm -hmm. if we don't do it, then how are we helping to shield the rest of the group of folks that may feel as if they don't have that level of power to do so? You know, you asked Sadako, what do newsrooms need to do to adapt um, in the DEIE space? And I've observed a number of times where there will be a hire um, from an underrepresented group in a newsroom. And the comments are not in your face, but people will say things, and I'd have to really wrap my mind around, what are you saying there when you say things like, well, he just seems, you know, like he's not from around here, or he sounds different, or um, we're getting a lot of complaints about that accent. And all those things may be accurate, but what are you really saying? Mm-hmm. And how can management buffer and protect people who are on the receiving end of some of those arrows internally, but really externally mm-hmm. from viewers? Yeah. Um, and that is an area that I don't feel like our managers get a lot of support and training um, we've, we have a very strong manager who protects our people, I think, really well. But I feel like he's doing it w- without a ton of peer support all the mm-hmm. time, or at least training on, on, you know, what crosses the line and what do we maybe need to do some some learning on. I think the one that really got me going was someone made a comment. This was internal um, about I'm just so it's so nice when somebody like him goes live because I can trust it. And I'm like, ooh, tell me more about what you mean by that. Yes. Tell, tell me more <laughs> about those words you just chose. Right. It's so, <laughs> I love that because as, you know, one of the things that do as a facilitator is we have to peel that onion back. And oh, yeah. what did you really, not that I may have an opinion about what I thought I heard, but I'm not going to go there until we have that conversation do they realize and validate it? that. Do they do, always realize what do they know is it? under there? Right. <laughs> No, <laughs> we're all shaking our right. head. We don't no, want to assume, the, 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 right? And right. So the 25-year-old, no. <laughs> the 25-year-old in me would would probably want to be in your face. Well, what do I? No, let's let's peel the onion. Let's. What did you mean? I like what you said. What did you mean by that? I learned that from my friend Sarah Watson, who's mm-hmm. very good at pushing objectivity. When when I think what she really wants to say is a lot of like, what the, you know? Right. And she she would just and I do this with my children all the time when they say something outrageous. Oh, tell me more mm-hmm. without having any emotion. At some point, Inside, their I'm words screaming. will tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'm jumping to conclusions mm-hmm. and assuming the worst. And yep. I've really tried to preach that to myself and others. I learned that from the Cedar Rapids Community School District board meeting, meetings. I saw it on a wall once framed, and I'm like, oh, I'm taking a picture of that. And it was, it's not earth-shattering, but it was for me in that moment. Always assume good intentions. It is not a tough thing to do. We talk about that constantly. It's a tough thing to do. I always say assume positive intent. Assume positive intent. Well, we are having a blast. I love this stuff. Yes, yes. Um, We've got a segue to our next segment, Um, but then we're going to talk offline, have fun too. Great. (laughs) Um, Our next segment is What's in Our Listener's Mind? 
puts on our listeners' minds. Thank you to all of our listeners. Continue to uh, submit your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. Beth, this is uh, an opportunity for you to be able to answer a question that our listeners have. Right. Anthony, you want to share with Beth what the, what's on our listeners' mind sure for thing. today's episode? So this is from Broderick. Um, and Broderick says, everybody at my organization is at different levels of understanding with their relationship with DEI. How do we build momentum with all these different understandings? Oof. That's a that's a good one, and I'm glad you get to answer. <laughs> well, that's a really it, great one. I think we can all relate to that, right? Even when we uh, visit with our families around shared holidays, and we can under, we hear something, you're like, "Oh, you're in a different space than I am on this topic," and and that is sometimes difficult to navigate in families and in workplaces. Um, we don't have the luxury of just smiling and nodding at a loved one who says something and you're just going to move on because it's not worth it. It's Thanksgiving. Um, we, in the workplace, we have to we have to address and have intentionality around aligning our values as an organization and that culture. Because let me tell you, if you're the one person in the room who is LGBTQ+, or who is biracial, um, or who uh, has a limb difference, and someone doesn't value, recognize, or make any sort of effort to include those things, it is noticed. Mm -hmm. People know when they are being cut out of conversations. You know, I, I believe strongly in DEI, and I, and I the word I try to focus on when it comes to that is belonging. Yes. Because bringing people into a room, checking off the proverbial box, um, is so not enough. Mm -mm. And we have all been in situations where we've been included. Mm -hmm. yeah. Certainly didn't feel like we belonged. I mean, yeah. it's basically my whole middle school experience. <laughs> but to make sure in our workplaces that people feel belonging, frankly, it's good business. Yep. People give their best when they feel their best. Absolutely. And also, I'm married to an attorney, so I have to say, if, if you are being uh, not inclusive in certain ways, you can be exposing yourself to liability, mm -hmm. and those uh, are not cheap to deal with. Right. But that should never be our uh, bottom goal, mm -hmm. <laughs> just to avoid getting sued. Um, we, I, I have yet to meet a business who's like, well, I really want my employees to, to feel crappy and undervalued um, so that they perform at the at bare minimum, what do we call it these days, quiet quitting. <laughs> oh. No one wants that. Right. I, I don't know of any leader or manager who wants that. Um, but it takes some bravery if you've never interacted with people who um, share a, a religious faith that is outside your neighborhood experience, or if you've never made accommodations for someone with a mental health situation, you're going to have to do some learning. And if you are a leader of an organization and you have people who are on different pages, like Broderick uh, explained when it comes to their relationship with uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, engagement, and belonging, then you have to take it upon yourself to either get outside counsel, bring in some training. First of all, take that hard look in the mirror. But this is, I, I think this is a leadership thing. Mm -hmm. And I do think if you are not a leader in your organization with the title of manager, you can use your voice if you feel safe and comfortable doing so. I, I never want to pile on. Right. It's your job to lift up. Well, you I know? think, yeah. And that's, that's <laughs> I love that you said that because we, we everybody assumes that the leader means the person in the C-suite, right? Um, you know, as I talk with some of our, uh, our clients and I, I ask them, so you've had a, you consider a, a toxic culture and maybe that's because you're on this particular area of your journey. You, other people mm -hmm. don't see it that way, but you're all people. You all 
create the culture, right? And so you have companies who have had the CEO or the CFO or all those people you consider leaders change. Yeah. But if the environment's still the same, is it really the leader? Exactly. Or is it that every, are we looking at the people that make up the culture and where they are on their journey? Mm -hmm. And how are we accommodating that? And how are you growing them? It's like any other skill. You can grow into the, our brain, as you said, has elasticity and we can learn new things and have new shared understandings. It doesn't mean sacrificing your personal values. That, that, that is not what this is about. It's not changing um, your religious beliefs. It's not about changing what you define as important in your life. But we are not just living in your house. We are living in a shared workspace and other people's values matter too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important that it's everyone's Role, responsibility, and accountability to drive DEIE, regardless of where they're on the organization, because it's the people that is creating that culture. Yes. Mm -hmm. We know leaders run the purse, but quit looking to the C-suite to make change and look at yourself. And although having been in a position of being the only underrepresented person is daunting to be able to make that change if I don't get the leadership support. So that's why I said it is everybody's role and responsibility to be able to take that action. And for our friend Broderick, it might be a look in the mirror of, is this a place yeah, bingo. where I can be honored and I can be myself <laughs> and not tolerated, but celebrated? And so, Broderick, I'm certainly not a, a career coach, but I want you to feel safe and valued at work. And if it can't happen in that space, let me tell you, there's a lot of jobs out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's thank a, you so much, yes. Broderick. And thank you, Beth, for sure. enlightening uh, Broderick and his question. Listeners, continue to submit your comments, questions, and feedback to info at diversitystraightup.com. All right. Well, we're going to get on to our, our last segment, uh, a little surprise here. And we this is our... <laughs> uh, like to keep it fun. What we call our diversity thumbball. Okay. I always love to be able to do this when we're in the studio with our yes, guests, although fine. even virtually we enjoy it with our guests. But we do. Beth is here. Uh, for our Thanks. listeners here, we've got a, a ball uh, that's a shape of a soccer ball. and It's, it's soft ball. A soft ball. <laughs> I'm going to be nice. And it's got a, a, a bunch of different random questions around diversity, equity, and inclusion on it. And it's a great tool if, if you ever want to use something like this as an icebreaker. But we're going to throw the ball in the air, and the person who catches it, Wherever it lands on their, wherever their thumbs land, you pick your left or right thumb. And whatever question your thumb lands on, you ask the question, you answer it authentically. Anthony always changes it. He's always like, wherever your thumbs land. I'm yeah. Usually you're supposed to have your thumb together. So I always, I'm a rule keep, breaker. Right. You are the rule breaker, but it I'm helps a, you keep things going faster. But yeah, so we'll, can, we'll let you do this. So rule number 7.2 says that you have to use your left thumb. Just kidding. Left, okay. <laughs> I will do that. I'm a rule so, follower. For our listeners, I'm going to toss the ball. I'm going to toss to Beth first, okay. and she's going to catch it and ask the question authentically. Right. See, I always have if the two thumbs and two different prompts, they're going to go with the easy one. So this is about like, you know, get the one. Describe a time you felt lonely in a big group of people. I often feel out of my depth when I'm in a room with a lot of um, older men. And that was a situation I often found myself in years ago, that I would be the only person invited for whatever reason because of my role in the community. And it would be a philanthropic event or it would be a business event. I remember Priority One. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I covered a number of those. And and when I say older men, these are... (sighs) These are really wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And I 
you know, my, I grew up in a, a not wealthy environment. Um, and there's like a code of how you communicate and what you talk about. And I had to like, not act, but perform mm-hmm. for that space. And um, I got really good at it. I got really good at acting in large rooms with people who did not have my shared history and didn't share even my identity as a woman and um, certainly didn't have like little kids at home at the time. But here was the problem. I got so good at performing in those rooms that I felt like I was losing myself. Mm. Mm. And mm-hmm. it I wouldn't ever be honest about my uh poverty that my mom and I, I got my, my mom got her first house when I was in high school and we mostly lived with my grandparents and I was, according to the department of ed, that's you're homeless if that's your housing situation. And that, and I, and I felt so much shame around my history that I would lie about it by through omission mm-hmm. and, and more talk about my mom in current terms and her house in St. Louis when she does have a house now in St. Louis. Right. She's doing great. She got a master's degree. She's yeah. worked her tail off. Um, and denying that part of my history became so habitual. And it took me leaning into that integrity and wanting to be my full self, mm-hmm. no matter the room. And so I, I'm i not going to say, oh, I never bend myself a little bit for the room because I'm sure I do at first blush because I've been practiced for so long. But I don't hide that reality right. anymore. And it does make it uncomfortable sometimes because people don't know what to say when mm-hmm. they're like, your mom got pregnant with you when she was 14. I mean, sometimes people say some really outrageous things to that statement. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and? <laughs> and? <laughs> and I do feel better as, a, as like a whole person in not performing for the room. But, mm-hmm. you know, my husband's like, you do know when you hang out with people long enough, you start, you start using their accents. Mm-hmm. Like you really can can lose yourself in a space. Yes. So I've had to work very hard not to do that. Yes. No. Wow. Appreciate you sharing that. Yes. yes. Thank yeah. you so much. Oh, sure. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about, don't we? Soccer ball is yeah. powerful. Soccer ball is powerful. <laughs> you know? This is the authenticity of the soccer ball. <laughs> so I, yet I, I hear what you're saying. You know, you felt like you were performing when you were saying that. First, I'm like, oh, well, you're just being exposed to differences and that's enhancing your cultural competency. But as soon as you said that I was losing myself, then that mm. that is a breaking point where because then it's right. not the cultural competence because you can't lose yourself in right. that cultural competency. You may have different shifts in beliefs and values as you go mm. through that cultural competencies. Right. That's true to who you are, right? Mm-hmm. That can shift. But if mm-hmm. you don't know who you are, then that's where it's like, ah. Right, I wow. can't. Very powerful, yeah. Beth. Sure. The 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 perform. Um. As a, as a black man in Iowa, used to it every day, mm. having to try to perform. Right, you go home. Read the stress. room. Read the room. Right. Read the room. So good. Good stuff. Mm. Good stuff. All okay. right, you get to toss the ball. Cool. Right, we'll ready? be ready. Yeah. Sadika, here we go. Oh, okay. You're telling Wait. me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It's just not Anthony. He makes me die for it. You know, like like going off the chair. We haven't done it in a while. (laughs) Share one to two two examples of prejudice or discrimination based on age. Have you had that one before? Yes. No, have I had this one? I don't don't know if I've had this or not, but I think I'm seeing it more and more. I'm 46, and I don't look that age, 
And so sometimes mm. it's hard to be taken seriously. Hmm. And I've had that experience all my life. And I don't know if it's because of the multi-dimensions of who I am in terms of Indian, a woman, height, not having English as my first language. But I would just, it's hard for to be taken seriously sometimes. Mm. And I'm like, okay, maybe as I continue to mature age-wise, well, there's different discrimination there, but I don't mm-hmm. get taken seriously even yet. I still get carded. So I don't know if I'm getting the reverse discrimination at times. Right. So it is something that um, yeah. I feel like I got to work twice and three times harder to be able to prove through my actions and being consistent with my actions that I'm showing up and that I can perform. Showing up, I'm here. Mm. Yeah. And do it well, but not even do it well, but I have to do it even more, even better. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I met with a CEO uh, yesterday in Iowa, Latino woman in high tech in Iowa mm. and not in Simi Valley somewhere. And same thing. She, Constantly telling me about how she has to show up and perform. Even today, when she's demonstrated the growth of her company, she still has to do this, and that's that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but here we are. We 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 can we can be changers. So how can Little, I continue to look young but not get discriminated? <laughs> but don't you <laughs> like that being carded thing? I know you like I that. Do. <laughs> I'll try that. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are your parents' attitudes towards LGBTQ communities? That's a great question. And honestly, I can't even, uh, I haven't had this one before, by the way. No, you haven't. I can't speak for my father, but I can tell you for sure about my mother because quite in church was my first exposure to, well, I probably understood what, uh, you know, uh, kids, I grew up in the 70s, so you 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 had words and things about the LGBT community that weren't cool. Mm-hmm. Let's just mm-hmm. call that. But I remember in church, my mother's choir director. I always thought that he was... Of the, of the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. but I didn't know. I'm like 12, 13, whatever, you know. Um, but I learned later that he was. He ended up dying, actually, of, uh, I don't want to misquote, but I believe he did die of AIDS mm. um, in the 90s. Um, but that was my mom's buddy. Like, yeah. I remember that was, you know, mama, that, was the, that was the choir director, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was my first exposure. And it's interesting because, and maybe I should ask my mom about this, I don't know, but I wondered the flack that, he took in the religious community for his, his, his LGBTQ stance. And mm-hmm. they accepted him in the church that we went to, obviously, but I don't, maybe there were deacons and folks in that church who really didn't like him. Um, so yeah, that was my first exposure. That's a, that's a big question. Big one, mm-hmm. particularly when you cross the religious sector. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was, that was mama's choir director. <laughs> well, Greg, and, yeah, Greg, I mean, yeah. that's royalty in the church. Yeah. Being a choir director. It is. <laughs> it is. And if you grew up in a black church and you know what music means, mm. yeah, choir directors matter. And so, yeah, that was that was fun. Oh. Well, we hope you enjoyed our diversity thumb balls. Always I a loved it. Fun one. Well, great. Well, as we wrap up our segment here, Beth, what um, advice can you give our listeners to really help them as they continue to navigate through their diversity, equity, inclusion and engagement? Or belonging journey. Yeah, I think that uh, we now more than ever need to rely on sources of information that we trust and that we value and that they are not just from one stream. Mm. Um, I don't know how my bosses are going to feel about this, but if you're only getting your news from KCRG, uh, you're doing it wrong. 
I would say diversify where you get your information and go out on a limb and think like a reporter. We harvest news anywhere we can get it. I mean, there's, um, I believe it's called Prison Times. It's a periodical that is created by people who are incarcerated. And we've gotten some outstanding story ideas um, from culling those pages. And think like that. What voices am I not giving any attention to and whose stories am I probably unintentionally ignoring? And if you're of the ilk that everybody's lying to you except for one news outlet, woof, get, get help. Because yeah. that is, you are, you are in a cult. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank sharing you. with Thank our you. listeners. I, I say that all the time. I said that on my phone, I was getting information feed from one angle. I don't care for that. Yeah. So I purposely intentionally right. went into my settings so I can get media from all right. angles because the more informed you are, the better. Right educated decisions you can make mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So I'm one thank you. I'll try to listen to all angles. Um, uh, and then we have to really balance what real truth is. Exactly. You know, Seek out experts, yeah. not your aunt on Facebook. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> we appreciate, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was fun. You know, My pleasure. Um, thank you so much, Beth, thanks, for Beth. being on DSU. We enjoyed thank having you. your perspectives Good and stuff. sharing about, uh, journalist and your industry absolutely thank thank you for uh putting this podcast together it's valuable i've gained knowledge from it and i just i thank you all logan sadika anthony for for putting this out in the universe thank you fun stuff and a shout out again to our sponsors act alliant energy and cedar rapids bank and trust the show is produced by las media group a special thanks to our listeners, as without you, we wouldn't be here. So please continue to help us grow subscriber base by sharing our show with others, liking, commenting, etc. Love this episode of Diversity Straight Up? Then head over to the most popular podcast and audio platforms to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. And remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. And as we say on our show, diversity straight up. Keeping it real.